The median sales price for a home in the U.S. back in the year 2000 was $165,000. In the year 2020, the median sales price is $327,000. This is a 98% increase over the last 20 years. Today's show, we're going to discuss the four wealth generators of real estate, along with my guest, Dr. Christopher Davis, to shed some light on how these generators work. I'm your host, Jason Jackson. This is the Good Samaritan Podcast. Let's get into episode 12. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 12 of the Good Samaritan Podcast. Uh, I'm excited about today's show because it's one of the things I'm uh, very interested in. Something I invest in myself is real estate. I've been promising I'm going to do a, a, a episode on, the real, on real estate and here we are. So I wanted to invite a guest on today's show. Uh, one of my fraternity brothers as well. Uh, both alumni of SMU uh, where we met uh, almost 12 years ago. 13 years ago, believe it or not, which time is flying by. Um, but I want to introduce Dr. Christopher Davis to the show. Uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Tell the people about yourself. I, I, we've uh, had a number of conversations about real estate over the years, uh, so I know we'll get into some good stories, but introduce yourself to, to the listeners. Well, thank you for the intro, Jason. It's uh, certainly good to be here. I've listened to the podcast and just have nothing but rave reviews for it, so it's great to, uh, to be able to participate and to contribute. Um, so as Jason said, I'm Christopher Davis. Um, I am full-time employed with Uplift Education, which is a charter school network here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex serving about 20,000 students. Nice. Um, I serve as the director of data strategy, so I lead our data analytics team. And I moonlight as a real estate investor <laughs> with, uh, with my wife, uh, Loretta Davis. And we've been in the game um, three years last month. Oh, nice. Tell us a little bit more about why real estate, you know, what got you into the game? Why, uh, I think you got about nine properties now. So why, why those nine properties? What's happened with those nine properties? Let's, let's kind of hash out what, how it's been so far over those last three years. Sure. Um, so my wife and I, we formed our um, LLC uh, roughly three years ago. So May of 2017. Cool. Um, and we bought our first four properties here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, the Southeast Dallas area to be exact. And um, why real estate? Really, it was because of you and some of our other fraternity brothers. We were we were just sitting around talking about it one day and the merits of it and those uh, four generators of wealth. <laughs> and um, I'm always one to, to like to learn new things. And so, you know, we had a collective group and we all just dove in together. And, you know, fortunately, I was the first one to really get off the ground with it. Um, but I love the the thrill of it. Um, the housing market is always something that I've just looked around and, you know, see that it is, but not really understand or not. I didn't really understand what was going on with it. And since we've been in real estate, um, you know, seeing how the money flows, seeing how um, it's advantageous from the owner side, from the bank side, from the lender side, it's just been a brave new world. And it's uh, it's been super exciting. It's a good point you actually make about when we were talking about it. How long? Cause it so you were like you said you were the first one who actually like went and brought a, bought a property. I want to say, you know, for me it took about a year. I was listening to podcasts every day. I was reading books. 
Uh, we actually were reading a group of books that we actually found on another great podcast uh, called Bigger Pockets. Uh, so definitely check that podcast out. Free plug for them. But uh, we learned a lot during that time there. Would you say um, what what pushed you over the edge? Because I want to say I felt like at that time we were kind of stuck in like just knowledge driven, which, you know, very big point on this podcast to mention with real estate is with any investment, but specifically with real estate, go educate yourself about everything you can. Take time. It's OK if it takes a year for you to get comfortable with the lingo. Uh, but there also comes a point where now you could you could look up and it's five years down the road and you know everything about real estate, but you never bought anything. So what was it? What was that that deciding moment where you're like, you know what? I don't know everything. I may not be as comfortable, but I'm going to sign this contract and throw this money in there, in there and see what happens. So I, I think it goes back to, to networking. Yeah. Um, so... You know, as we all were on our journey of learning, we were also sharing with people like what we were learning and what we wanted yeah. to do. And in doing so, one of our other fraternity brothers, um, who was a who's a broker in the Dallas Fort Worth area, um, knew we were looking and just dropped the opportunity in our laps. Yeah. And we ran the numbers. Um, everything looked legitimate. And so, yes, it was um, a big deal to write <laughs> that first down payment check. Um but I can say that, you know, once you've done it the first time, it does get easier since we've bought a couple of properties since then. Um, but, yeah, as you said, like we were getting stuck uh, in place, just running the numbers and looking at different scenarios. Um, and fortunately, we were blessed to to have our other friend come through with an opportunity we just couldn't pass up. And we, we, we quote unquote, pulled the trigger. Cool. So tell me, tell me about your first deal. Kind of how did that go? Uh what were some of the pitfalls you kind of faced there? And then what, you know, what, what did you come out on the side really learning and being glad that you did it? Yeah. So our first deal uh, was in Southeast Dallas. So not, otherwise known as the Pleasant Grove area for those who are from Dallas. Um, it was a four townhouse deal. Um, so we bought four townhouses in a community of 80, I think it's 80 townhomes. Um, some are owner occupied and some are investment properties. Um, Two of the units were occupied. One unit, the tenant actually abandoned. Um, so we had to do some cleaning there. Fortunately, it was all cosmetic type things. And then another unit, we had to um, make some, some slight repairs. But fortunately, the, the tenants we placed um, are all still in place three years later. Some of the things we've learned um, to, to do your due diligence with the with the, the, all the title work. So one of the things I was telling Jason before we uh, jumped on the podcast is that, um, unfortunately, we did not get the security deposits for each unit um, before we took over the properties. In some cases, we didn't get the keys. So we, we did incur some expenses having to... Change um, the door locks. Ha- having to <laughs> break into our own properties, change the locks. Um, and then, you know, not knowing what certain things were costing, um, we probably did overpay for some things at the beginning. And then with those first four, we were managing the properties ourselves. And so just the growing pains of, you know, having a family, having a full time job and then still running across town to answer tenants calls and um, link up with with uh, with contractors and, you know, link up for payments and all that stuff. Um, there was just a lot to learn, but it, it's we're, we're three, yeah. three years in and we're still excited about yeah. it. You hit a really good point because with investing, 
you know, with any investment, whether it's stocks, real estate, uh, if you want to buy bonds, if you want to start a business, there's some certain level of risk, right? So I think, you know, that it, as you, as you, when you're a newbie in any investment, like you're going to make mistakes. I think one of the things I will, you know, would say, and I don't know if Chris would, would agree with me here, is you start to learn that money is just money. Like it's just a vehicle for you to, to use, to... Uh, help build, you know, your net worth to build investments, uh, but not to be so attached with it that if you lose a few dollars, uh, you know, putting your your hat in the ring in a in a in the in industry, uh, that that's okay, that that's going to happen, uh, but not to deter you from stopping. So, you know, for Chris, you know, that was first two properties or first property, and now they have nine. So obviously those you know those setbacks didn't didn't stop them. And I think the the first big point I want to get across. You know, for this first episode on real estate, is you no, know, just don't be scared. Um, you're gonna have some risk, you're gonna be nervous about things, doing your first deal, uh, you know, executing your first uh rental agreement, which you haven't even talked about. Uh, breaking into your own house is an interesting story to have, uh, that you just bought, but just you know, it comes with the territory. You gotta, you gotta be willing to take risks. Uh, obviously, start with educating yourself, but at the end of the day. Uh, you're not going to know everything about an investment, but you can't move forward unless you unless you decide to uh, to take some punches and roll with them. Uh, because I promise you on the other side, uh, it's going to definitely be worth the risk and worth the investment and worth the time and worth the education uh, because it, it, it does become very fruitful uh, as we've learned. So early on, uh, we do have big dreams to go to go much further. Uh, so great, great point there. How are you? Uh, What's it like, you know, managing the the nine properties that you currently have? So going from the Chris from the Chris and Low from three years ago, first property breaking into the house to now you got nine properties under the umbrella. What's the uh, what's what are the, some of the big takeaways there, and what are some of the the differences you noticed from then to now? Um, so, yeah. you know, within the first year, we were managing the properties ourselves. And then we decided to um, to find property managers. So we wanted to start out managing them ourselves, ourselves to identify like what it took to manage them. What was the communication like? What did it need to be? What were the tenant expectations? Yeah. Where were some of the costs involved? What was some of the time involved? And so after we, I wouldn't say we mastered it, but knew enough, we decided to turn it over to a property manager. And so I would say that. Um, as you're looking at different properties, whether they're um, within your home city or outside, yeah. um, the property management piece is is really a deal breaker. Um, so I think one of the things where we erred was thinking we could turn them over to a property manager and just become hands off. Um, and that was a huge mistake. So if you're going to turn <laughs> it over to a property manager, you still have to build in the time, capacity and systems to actually manage the property manager. Uh, because they are they are managing your asset for you. They are the face of your company. Um, and so making sure that they're doing right by you and also your tenants um, is an important piece that I don't want to undersell. It's actually a great point that you make, again, because uh, when we go back to the, the beginning when we were kind of learning about real estate, we were very similar to the same knowledge that we took in. Uh, but what you'll find that's funny about our, our little investment group that we have, though we haven't invested together yet, um, we all kind of took a different path from that from that knowledge. So I 
I actually read the book on uh, landlording, how to be a good landlord from Bigger Pockets, and you know, you got, there's a whole nother book on how to get money and how to leverage and how to buy properties and understand the numbers. But I read that landlording book and I was just like, "Yep, not for me, bro. <laughs> not, not for me." Um, it's not difficult to be a landlord, but it can be tedious. You got to be on top of your game, uh, going from picking tenants to managing the property, um, running it so well that your tenants want to stay and being, you know, you're competing against other investors out in the market. So you want to get the best tenants. And from my perspective, you know, based on our our family kind of set up at, at my home, it just it was not realistic to uh, to manage the property. So I actually have never managed any properties one on one in my in my portfolio of two properties. Uh, so the thing I learned in my my path was to really vet property managers uh, before I actually bought a property in a market. So I have a whole nother episode on how do you discern you know what market to invest in. Um, but I ended up in Ohio. I live in Texas. Our, me and my wife's first two properties are actually in uh, in Dayton and Middleton, Ohio, uh, for a number of reasons. But one of the, the top three reasons uh, is because of how reputable the property manager was and how on top of the process they were uh, that I thought it enough to spend the money to fly out there to meet them, to see if I was comfortable enough with their process. Uh, to invest my money there. And I think it, it has made the last two years of owning the properties that I have go a lot smoother than some of the stories that I've heard from Chris. So we've, uh, I think there have been a lot of things that we've learned uh, so far and what, what we thought would work, what wouldn't have worked. Um, but so far it's, it, it's been, it's been very, very good. Now we'll get into the the four wealth generators of real estate. So first I'm going to start with appreciation. Uh, and simply what appreciation is, is pretty much the increase of the value of an asset over time. Uh, so obviously you guys might know housing prices have been going up uh, year over year, pretty much the last decade since the last housing, um, housing crash back in 2007. Uh, so I actually throw it back to Chris here, like how much in the last three years, uh, how much would you say your how much would you say your properties have appreciated if you put them on the market today? So our properties here in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, um, roughly on average, about a hundred percent appreciation, and then for the the duplexes and the single family that we own in North Little Rock, um, I would say we've we've gained about ten to twenty percent. Yeah, now that's about in line. It for for. Uh, our properties we appreciated about 17 percent it's around thirty thousand dollars when you add the two of them together uh, just in the last two years that you know we've owned our two properties in ohio and we won't we won't cover it on today's episode uh, but a good distinction here to kind of recognize is that different markets are moving at different paces uh, so even though we might look at the uh, the national uh, housing prices or the national uh, trends of, of housing uh, in regards to how much it costs or any appreciation values. Uh, each market is its own real estate market. Uh, Dallas has its own market. Uh, Fort Worth has its own market if you live in Texas. Uh, Cincinnati and Ohio has its own market. Miami, Florida has its own uh, real estate market and they're all moving at their own paces. Uh, so those are things you have to always consider uh, whenever you're looking at any any trends in regards to appreciation or where you should buy. 
So I always take that into consideration. The other, the one big note I did want to know about appreciation, uh, the median sales price of uh, a house in the United States in Q1 of 2000 uh, was $165,000 uh, in Q1 of 2020, so 20 years later, or just earlier this year, uh, to whopping $327,000 uh, for the median sales price of a, a house in America. So pretty significant jump uh, just in the last 20 years. If you bought a house 20 years ago, uh, depending on where you bought it, uh, but for the most part, for for the uh, trend, if you look across the country, you pretty much could have doubled your money and got your money back and you decided to sell it uh, right now, I won't say right now, we decided to sell in the first quarter uh, of this year. Uh, so just just to kind of talk about appreciation, what that means. Uh, there are kind of two factors of appreciation. Uh, the initial one being just natural appreciation, which is pretty much what we just kind of kind of described there. Uh, Chris's properties in the last three years, uh, some of them doubled. Uh, this one in Arkansas, uh, only about 10 percent, 10 to 20 percent. Uh, but that's pretty much just natural appreciation. What you might find over time, those uh, assets just growing in value, nothing being done to the property, uh, no uh, renovation being done to the property. This is just the property itself. You bought it, didn't touch it. That's what you could sell it for in the future. And so we also have a thing called forced appreciation, uh, which I would ask Chris about because I actually think he has some knowledge in uh and some experience in forcing some appreciation with some of his properties. Uh, so if you, I, I'll pass it over to Chris on what, what forced appreciation can do for you uh, in, the, in the market. Sure. So we're actually uh, working on this right now with one of our single family properties in North Little Rock. Um, it was a, um, it's a three bedroom, one bath, um, a home probably built in the 1920s or 1930s that was renting at about 700 per month. And so we've, over the past, I would say past year, have um, put some work into it. We've re we're in the process of remodeling the bathrooms with new sinks, new bathtub. Um, the bathtub doesn't have a shower component, so we're adding a shower component. Uh, when we first bought it, we put in new floors. Um, we've, let's see, what else have we done? We've restained the wood. So it's the original hardwood that we've just restained. And so... Um, through those vehicles and, you know, as Jason mentioned, the, the natural appreciation, uh, we've been able to force some appreciation through some of the, um, the renovations that we've made over the past three years. Would you say, would you say you've gotten your return on investment? Is there anything you could, you would want to highlight on when you're engaged in doing some forced appreciation? Like, does it matter if I put uh, granite countertops and marble floors uh, in a property where the, the median house price is 200000 Does it make... Do I get my ROI if I put those kind of things in a property or does it matter what I pick for those, those upgrades? So it, it definitely <laughs> matters. And I think one of the things that we had to learn as a new investor, uh, as new investors three years ago, was that um, we're not living in our investment property. And so that's not to say that we're putting um, substandard materials into an investment property, but I, I don't expect to get the same warm and fuzzies from an investment property as I would get in my, my primary residence. And so to, to, your, to your question, Jason, um, 
like for our properties here locally in Dallas and in North Little Rock, those would probably be B, uh, B minus C plus properties at best. And so it really doesn't make financial sense to, you know, put in hardwood floors, to put in granite and marble countertops, um, to put in bidets in the bathroom <laughs> um, because you're not going to get your money back because the rent that you can charge um, for these units is going to be capped by the market conditions. And so um, one mantra that we live by is to, you know, would I live in a unit that we own as an investment property? Yes. Um, but is it going to be as nice as my primary residence that I have now? More than likely not. I think it's a great point you make because pretty much you want to match the market, at least in the neighborhood that the properties are in. You want to be in the top tier of those properties, I think, as a as any investor, any, any business owner um, will want to consider. But it's a great point. Like you don't don't throw money away. Like keep all your profits, keep all the money that you make in your pocket. That's always the idea of any person who owns a business or invests. They want to maximize uh, their profit making. So don't you know? Always consider when it comes to forced appreciation when you're uh, investing that you don't want to you know get double shower heads in a in a one in a one bathroom that ain't but you know a hundred or what. 50 square feet like it ain't it doesn't give you anything extra you just threw some money away that's all and, <laughs> and one thing i would say too about appreciation and so for yeah. for for newbie investors or you know those who are seasoned um one thing that my wife and i did not really consider going into were these these four generators so yeah. we we knew of their existence but our um, the primary goal with the properties that we have now has been cash flow, and we've been blessed to just happen upon some appreciation, especially here with our, our uh, four properties in the Dallas Metroplex. But um, at, at least think about the strategy. You, you might still deviate from what you want to do or what's best, but at least have it in mind to know that I'm getting into, into this particular property for, for appreciation or for cash flow. Um, because that's going to set a level of expectations that over time you will be able to live with versus you're, you're getting into a property for appreciation um, and it drops, but you're still cash flowing. Like, will you stay in the property or will you yeah. um, jump ship because it doesn't meet your expectations? It's actually a great point. So we, we're going to transition to cash flow in, in a quick second. The only thing I want to last mention about appreciation um, Check us out on the Good Samaritan podcast on Instagram. I actually just posted today the uh, last, I think it's the last 40 years of the median sales price. Uh, but it kind of looks like a stock chart. Um, over the long term, I mean, increasing, going up is a positive trend. Uh, but we, you, you will see some notches on that list. So if you go back to 2007, uh, appreciation doesn't always happen. It's not a a uh, foregone conclusion or a guarantee uh, because the market does drop sometimes. So a good example of that is actually back in 2007 in Q1, uh, the median sales price for a house was 257000 uh, which is still lower than what it is today. Uh, but by the, by the end of Q1 of 2009, uh, it had dropped to $208,000. Uh, which is a 20% decrease. So if you bought your house 
uh, back in 2007, in Q1, uh, I mean, you pretty much lost 20%, potentially uh, more or less 20% of your value two years later. Uh, now, fortunately, if you held on to that house uh, through the downturn, you were going to make money. Uh, but it, appreciation isn't, isn't a uh, foregone conclusion of when you buy and what you buy and what you know the market uh, dynamic is at the time uh, will be impacted by what happens. Uh, it's not as volatile as the stock market, but it is an investment. Uh, it's typically a more conservative and safer vehicle to invest in. Uh, but it's not a uh, it's not a guarantee uh, that your house or anything any real estate that you buy will appreciate. It's very likely, but not a not a guarantee. Uh, but I will transition to cash flow. So our our second uh, wealth generator, uh, which is my favorite, uh, it's actually a big driver of the properties that I purchased uh, two years ago. Uh, cash is king, if you ask me, and cash flow is you know as simply put as we've talked in some of the other podcasts it's going to be revenue minus your expenses uh as, as it is with any business it's that chunk of cash after your hard work and all your efforts um from operating and investing uh that you get to have monthly at least in regards to real estate when that rent comes in you pay out your expenses uh you have your cash flow which is pretty critical uh, in my opinion, of the four wealth generators, uh, the beauty with buying and holding or having rentals is you get to capitalize pretty much on all four wealth generators, generators uh, opposed to flipping. But we, we might get into that a little bit later. Uh, but when it comes to cash flow, um, pretty much it's your it's your monthly uh, it's your monthly. I don't, I don't know how you describe it. How do you, how do you feel, Chris, when you get your, your cash flow statements? Or when the money hits your account each month from your your rental properties, how do I feel? I feel like mission accomplished. Yeah, um, yeah. It is it is the fruits of of, of the labor, um, and so what my wife and I have decided to do is to not pull in pull any of the cash flow. Or we can just call cash flow profit each month. We leave it in the business so that the business is self sustaining. So for those months where we um, will incur more expenses via CapEx or, you know, in the, the cases where we have uh, units that are vacant, the the cash flow from previous months serves as our cushion so that we are not have, having to pump any our, any of our personal um, assets um, into the business as, as operating uh, funds. It's actually a great point. Cash flow and the amount of cash that comes into the business matters. Um, because you, the whole point of you making an investment is to be profitable. Uh, you want the property to fund itself. And not only do you want it to fund itself or break even, but you want to make money uh, off the investment. Um, because you do have an opportunity cost by you know putting your, your cash into a, a rental property. You could put that cash somewhere else that will, that will generate a return. Um, the, the key things to understand about cash flow. So does... Chris, would you say that cash flow just happens on a pro any property that you buy? If I just go out tomorrow, I see a house, the house down the street is for sale. If I buy that joker, I get the rent, cash flowing. That, that's how it works, right? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, so, so there are you know, really two big categories as it relates to cash flow. Um, so you have your revenue, in this case, 
um, what you're charging your tenants to live there. So that would be your rent. And then you have your expenses. Um, so in order to get to profit, you have your revenue minus the expenses. So in order to have increased cash flow, you can either A, um, increase your, your rent, which, you know, based on market conditions, that, that might be possible, but it, you know, it might not be possible. Uh, option B, you can figure out a way to um, keep your expenses steady or to even decrease them. And then option C, hopefully you can do both where you're um, increasing the rent you're charging while also decreasing the expenses that you're incurring um, to operate that unit. So to go in a little deeper on on cash flow, so I actually made a little example. Um, partic- generally, the expenses that you're dealing with for a rental uh, is pretty much the mortgage. Uh, you're going to have taxes that you have to deal with. You're going to have insurance on the property if you're smart, uh, which you're going to have insurance on the property. Let's... Yeah, if, if, the, <laughs> if, if your property is financed through a bank, you're going to have to then, have then They require um, you to have insurance. <laughs> so unless you buy cash and you don't get insurance on it, uh, that'd be anyway, we won't even we won't even address that. You don't have insurance. Uh, some people do save for vacancy and repairs. Um as well as a uh, property management fee. So if you have a property manager, if you have a property manager, uh, you're going to pay a percentage of uh, the rent that you that you bring in every month uh, to that manager, uh, to pay for that manager's services as well. All right, so let's get into this this cash flow a little deeper. So as I talked about an example, so say I got I got a property it's coming in twelve hundred dollars a month rent, you know revenues all all cash coming in. And on my expenses side, between my mortgage, my taxes, and my insurance, say I'm about $800, right? So I'm pretty much cash flowing 400 bucks a month, right? I'm taking $400 to the bank, putting that in there, or I might take it to the, the grocery store. I might take it somewhere, but it's in my pocket. I'm good from there, right? Uh, not so fast, <laughs> my friend. So, so honestly, like when we... When my wife and I first started learning about the business, um, I think that the the mortgage, the taxes, and insurance are the things that are, are most intuitive, because those are things that we're paying as a, a primary residence owner, mm-hmm. um, or those those are things we're paying on our on our vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's four hundred. Um, you take out the the mortgage, taxes, and insurance, but you know what our what our learnings taught us is that you should be accounting for your property management expenses, which are roughly um, 10% of your, your rental income. So in this case, 120 bucks. Right. So that's that's nuts. I like, you're telling me I'm losing money already. So now my 400 is what? Three or $280 so we're now, profit. We're now at 280 profit. Okay. Um, depending on the age and the condition of the property that you would like to invest in, you also need to account for capital expenditures, which is otherwise known as CapEx, and then your your monthly repairs because things will break from time to time. You need to send the person out to, to drain the sink or the lights went out and your, your breaker box is old. HVAC. Your HVAC. The summertime, always giving you some. Yeah, so um, <laughs> you could be conservative. And let, yeah. let's say we go with, um, if we get an older house, we'll go with 10%. Okay, so for, another so that's another hundred and twenty bucks. Hundred and twenty. So we was at two eighty, right? So now we had a hundred and sixty. Hundred and sixty profit. Yep. 
A month. A month. And so, again, this is an older house. So we need to probably also be conservative and, and book our repairs at 10%. So that's another 120 that's coming off the books. So now we're left at 40 bucks so cash flow. And then depending on... You're managing the price. So you get, we got a PM in there, right? That's already in the, in the math. Yeah. Okay. So we've accounted for 10% for property management, 10% for CapEx because you bought an yeah. older house, 10% for repair again because you bought yeah. an older house. And one thing we haven't considered is the vacancy rate. So yeah. um, you, you you can choose or not choose to to consider vacancy, but um, more times than not, unless you're the unless you run into the perfect storm, you're going to have a vacancy. Yeah, um, at some point. Hopefully you can minimize it, but you will have a vacancy. And so you want to have reserves to be able to cover you in order to have reserves, you need to account for that. Um, so we, we can go at, at, at 5% <laughs> vacancy rate, Yeah. but just doing the math, if we had 40 bucks left, and if we account for vacancy at 5%, that will be 60 bucks. That has us at negative $20. Wait, wait, so you tell me I invested, I invested my money to pay $20 and I make nothing right now. Correct. Yeah. So if you bought this house as a cash flow play, then you're losing. You're losing money. So you could be, you know, um, incurring some appreciation. <laughs> um, you you have the, the tax uh, benefits and you have the debt pay down that's happening. Um, but yeah, unless you can push the rent up or possibly, you know, given the interest rates right now, um, it might be a time to to refinance to get the the mortgage down. Um, and here in here in Texas it is. We're about a month past the time for um, protesting our taxes, yeah. so that could be a vehicle to to get your your tax rate down. Um, and if you've been in the business for a while, um, I think by now you could probably do a, a good estimation of what your capex repair and vacancy looks like. Yeah. Um, another option you might want to go to decrease your cost is to um, drop the property management services and get back that one twenty. Don't do that. So if you give it, a, <laughs> if you drop your property manager yeah. and decide to do it yourself, <laughs> based on the math, you will be getting one hundred and twenty bucks back, yeah. which means you would now be net one hundred dollars, yeah. right? So right. That, that's, that's better than negative twenty. It's better than negative twenty, but it still ain't. But yeah, one thing that you know, my wife and I didn't consider when we you know started off managing our own properties is that while we are saving time, saving money not paying someone and doing it ourselves, it is costing us time. Yeah. Which is, you know, a resource that you can't get back. So it's yeah. costing us time um, in the business, time away from work, yeah. time away from our family. Um, then also you factor in the, the cost of, of gas to, to move yeah. around, um, just the mental toll with trying to manage all these things at once. Um, you got a cost of marketing the property, advertising the property, getting tenants, uh, paying for um, background checks. Like there's a whole nother layer to this and you can't incur your own costs because if you skimp on background checks or verifying tenants, you put a bad tenant in the property, they can do some damage to the property and now you're even further in the hole. So it is, we're going to do a whole episode on just how to develop deals but just for this case and understanding cash flow and what goes into it uh, it's not as quite quite as simple uh, as it is just putting numbers on the paper um, 
but the deal matters. So what what income or what rent you can charge is foremost the first thing you need to uh, have a good estimation on, which you can determine by the other properties in the marketplace. And then your mortgage taxes and insurance, your expenses also are going to be a big deal uh, in regards to determining whether a certain property property is profitable or not. Because uh, just going to buy any random house, uh, unfortunately, can get you in a lot of trouble and put you in the red really quickly, uh, make you lose a lot of money. So Yeah, and I would also say, too, as an investor, um, sometimes um, you do want to fudge and play with the property manager, CapEx repair and vacancy <laughs> expenses um, just to make the deal look better. But I, I caution you and I, I caution myself um, to be as honest and conservative as possible because um, you can get into the deal, but can you get out of it? Yeah. Is, is also another question you should be considering. Yeah, exit strategy, another great point. We'll, we'll definitely discuss that more. But cash flow, uh, most important thing you can have, uh, in my view, when it comes to rental properties, appreciation is great. Uh, I would say the the one uh, negative about appreciation or two negatives, as I mentioned before, is it doesn't always a property doesn't always appreciate. Uh, but the other piece is, is the value of a home is pretty much tied up on the balance sheet. You can't tap that cash unless you sell the property or take a lien out against it. And as we've talked about net worth on this show, we want to build our net worth, so we don't necessarily want to always uh, turn the debt to to tap. Um, some cash inflows uh, if we don't have to. Uh, we want to make more money, not necessarily um, um, make sure we're leveraging more to that ultimately costs us more uh, as well. So that's cash flow. Uh, the, the third wealth generator, and we'll move on from cash flow, the third wealth generator is tax savings. So the beauty of living in America uh, we actually have a president who's uh, been very much involved in in, um, in real estate over his career. Uh, there might be different views on that or not, but he is a, a real estate guy. Uh, so there are some things that happened in the last tax cut um, in 2017, 2018, when the, the tax cuts got passed that did benefit uh, real estate investors. Uh, but to initially start, uh, tax savings... Um, start actually with deductions so you can have the ability to deduct expenses uh, at the, on your on your taxes at the end of every year, um, which does benefit and help you be more profitable. So, for example, uh, particularly your property management, say you hire a property manager to manage your property and it costs you that 10 percent uh, cost every year off your rent. Well, guess what? At the end of the year on your taxes, you get to include that on your expense line. And you actually get to deduct that expense uh, for your taxes at the end of the year. Any repairs that you might have to the property in that tax year, you also get to deduct. So if if the uh, if the oven catches on fire or blows up or uh, I, what actually happened to me, one of my uh, smaller properties, my, my less expensive property, uh, had a, I had a bad tenant who broke a couple of my windows It kicked in a locked door. Uh, upstairs in one of the bedrooms, uh, they uh, and they destroyed the dishwasher. Be unbeknownst to me, all new stuff, um, but all of those expenses got to be deducted that deducted in that tax year on my taxes uh, when I filed uh, for that year. So there are a lot of deductions 
uh, that can be included in the tax savings if you're a real estate investor. And better yet, so as Chris mentioned, uh, they have an LLC set up. And I'll let Chris discuss that more, but because it operates as a business, there are even more deductions uh, you can get as an LLC if you have your properties under there as well. Yeah. yeah. So I would say the, the, the key advice I have for the, um, the tax benefits of, of real estate, um, you know, it's one of the things that we've learned over, over these past three years is that um, the folks who have the most wealth in the, in the country and the world um, know the tax system in and out. <laughs> and so, you know, all these laws are really hidden in plain sight yeah. where, you know, the haves, they, they know and able to work the system and the have nots are just living life um, and using, um, what is it? What are the tax software companies? Uh, TurboTax, you got Intuit, which I think Intuit owns TurboTax. Uh, I don't know if Appfolio does anything. Yeah, with taxes, so so but, so not not yeah. not talking down on those softwares yeah. because they are they are excellent softwares, but they are designed for um, the the general person, yeah. and so um, it can get the job done. But when it comes to your your tax benefits of real estate. You want the job done as best as possible. So I would recommend finding you a reputable accountant, um, one who knows all of the tax laws and is staying abreast of all the changes and and really helping you as an investor um, to move the pieces where you need to move them. And so one of the things that we've learned over time is that, you know, as we said earlier with cash flow and trying to control the cost of our businesses, of our business, I'm sorry, that might be one expense that you're willing to um, try to minimize and I would say you'll end up losing more over time if you're trying to save money by doing your own taxes in, unless you're a tax expert yourself but if you are not um, pay a reputable um, CPA to handle your taxes and you will ultimately come out on top in the long run and you get to deduct that cost when you hire that person anyway so if you're paying in taxes you might as well uh, go the extra effort and extra mile and get that deducted. Uh, overall, for those of you who might not under, might not know why deductions are important, but it reduces your overall uh, income that you bring in um, so that you're taxed, though at the same rate, but lesser, on a, a lesser amount of money, uh, which is why the deductions are important, just like it would be for a normal person. Uh, a real estate investor also has additional deductions that they can uh, they, that they can. Uh, add to their to their tax uh, situation uh, the other big piece actually is a uh, depreciation uh, so from an accounting perspective you're currently able to deduct the costs associated uh, with annual depreciation so uh, an example actually might be better but currently the tax code allows you to deduct the depreciation of your property over a residential property for 27 and a half years um, so when you when you go on your taxes, you're you're able to essentially divide the value of the property by the 27 and a half years, and then you get to deduct that annually. So each year that you own the property, you're able to deduct that amount. So if you had a $200,000 property, for example, uh, it'll, that deduction will come out. That depreciation deduction will come out to about uh, $7,272 uh, each year that you get to deduct. Now, that doesn't necessarily say that the property loses value in the marketplace, uh, but it's more so just for accounting purposes, another 
another benefit uh, to owning to owning real estate. Yeah, and in yeah. some in some cases they um, well, I think in most cases you also have the option to do an accelerated depreciation schedule. Mm-hmm. So again, this depends on how long you're planning to keep the property. So yep. if you're if you're planning to keep the property for a a short amount of time, you would probably do an accelerated schedule to thus be able to deduct more of the depreciation up front, so you can incur those savings, and then you'll sell the property before. Um, before that schedule runs out. So that's yeah. another benefit of depreciation or um, accelerated depreciation. So I did learn uh, that the benefit of depreciation doesn't last forever. <laughs> uh, which which shocked me. I haven't sold I haven't sold any of my investment properties uh, yet. Don't plan to uh, in the, in the near future. Um, but when you sell a property, the depreci- depreciation is called what you call recaptured. Uh, so all those savings that you got annually for, say, you went the whole 27 and a half years uh, on the $200,000 house, the um, all of the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? All of the depreciation that you put on your taxes that you got the deduction for are now going to come back into the property when you sell it and then you'll be taxed on it uh, when it's recaptured uh, at a max tax rate of 25%. So essentially what that means is you get it while you own it, it goes away as soon as you decide to sell the property. Uncle Sam wants his cut of the pie uh, when, (laughs) when you decide to sell the property. There are some ways you actually can get around this uh, by way of 1031 exchange, which we might we might discuss here in a moment as well. Um, but the other, there are a couple other big uh, ways you can have some tax savings with real estate. The other is it's seen as uh, passive income and a pass through deduction. Uh, so if you have your LLC set up, uh, you actually get a benefit. Or the the current tax code allows for qualified business income, which rental income is. Um, up to 20% of that income to be used as a pass-through deduction. So, again, it because you re- you receive that rental income uh, annually, you'd also then also qualify to receive yet another deduction of 20% on the income you made that year from that, that rental property. And so that's in the tax code as well. Um, and then there's a, another piece actually on capital gains taxes. Uh, so with capital gains taxes, you pretty much pay the government a percentage or the, at the tax rate of when you sell a property. Uh, I believe there's actually a short-term and long-term capital gains tax. Pretty much short-term is less than a year um, and long-term is longer than one year. Uh, obviously, there's a higher tax rate for the short-term. So if you're a flipper, you flip a house in four months, you buy it and resell it. Uh, you pretty much pay a, a higher tax rate. That tax rate, I think, can be as high as 30%, depending on your tax bracket. Uh, but on the long-term capital gains, if you're, if you're renting homes, uh, the highest tax bracket is between 0 and 20%. So you actually can pay less taxes on your capital gains when you sell uh, yet another benefit in tax <laughs> savings with the being a real estate investor. So in the tax code, uh, being a real estate investor can can pay a few more dividends and help you be more more profitable. Um, you got anything else on tax savings? Would you say that's something 
the first couple of years when I did my taxes for our, our real estate uh, was a little a little challenging. Ours aren't isn't as as uh, complicated as you all's, but um, I think the first year when I had that property that got all that got damaged a couple of years ago. I didn't make any money that year on that property because the damages were so significant, but I was able to pretty much write off all the repairs that I, I needed to get that property back on market. Um, so I could, like yeah. I said, it's Yeah, the, good the last piece I'll say on that is relates yeah. to working with a, a, a CPA yeah. is to make sure that you are keeping accurate records. Yeah. So for, for all the expenses you're occurring, um, ensure that you have all the invoices and receipts um, so that as you prepare to file your taxes each year, um, that you can hand over all your documents and records to your CPA in order to make the process as seamless as possible. And also to protect you in case um, there's ever an audit that comes up. <laughs> you want to have uh, airtight books um, so that you can, you know... St- <laughs> <laughs> the IRS will come knocking at that right. door asking so, for so, 50K. So you can either <laughs> not owe money and or stay out of... Um, the uh, the criminal justice yes because <laughs> that also comes with fees and maybe some jail time depending on how uh, uh, how much you decide to try and get over on Uncle Sam but we're we won't we won't even go into all that I will I will say um, I did mention the invest in tax deferred and tax free is one final uh, benefit of tax savings so I did forget that uh, I brought up the ten thirty one exchange so. Pretty much with a 1031 exchange, you sw- investors are allowed to swap properties for uh, the same or lesser value. Uh, the reason why they allow you to do that is pretty much to avoid paying capital gains tax. So say if Chris wanted to, Chris doesn't have to outright sell all his nine properties. He could go find a 30 unit apartment complex And if they were about the same value or less value, he he, in the 1031 exchange, he could swap pretty much acquire the larger property uh, by swapping his current nine properties. And the reason why you do that is you can avoid paying capital gains tax when you do a 1031 exchange, which can become very lucrative, lucrative, especially when you're dealing with a lot of units or you have a lot of high uh, net worth asset or high uh, asset value properties because capital gains tax could easily turn into into millions of dollars if you if you have some 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 pretty um, nice properties. Yeah, I mean, in short, it's yeah. it's it's a way to <laughs> to scale the business up. Yeah. While kicking the taxes down the road. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay, uh, so now we'll transition to the last uh, wealth generating. A wealth generator for for real estate, which this one is probably the the simplest one, is simply paying down the mortgage. Um, you're able to, if you're credit worthy enough, you have enough cash and make an investment. You've already, you've been given the advantage to leverage uh, money to buy real estate. When you have tenants in paying the rent, if you've done the numbers correctly, uh, your tenants pretty much pay a mortgage off for you. So it's it's their funds. They, they that they use to pay the rent that you pay down the mortgage and get a little nice little cut of cash flow, which is why we love it as well. Uh, but your tenants pretty much buy a an asset for you uh, to to have. 
Yeah, I would say this is probably the one that I struggle with the most um, because from a personal perspective, um, I prefer not to carry any debt. And so as we were getting into real estate, um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, writing that first down payment check was very hard because there was such a a large cash cash outlay that came out of our account. Um, And so I do go back and forth at times on whether to accelerate the debt pay down. But Jason, as you just said, like yeah. the tenants are paying the, are. the the debt down for you. Yes. Um, and so I, I just have to be patient because real estate, especially if you have the buy and hold strategy, is a long term play. And as long as you're willing to be patient um, and use the, let's say, for instance, going back to our cash flow example, mm-hmm. if you actually did have a four hundred dollars in cash flow, what's the opportunity cost of pumping that four hundred into accelerating the debt pay down versus putting that into an account in order to be able to buy another rental property to keep scaling the business up. So I would definitely say have the long-term approach with with the debt pay down strategy and think about the opportunity costs of using um, your liquid funds for things other than paying um, these long-term debts down. It's a great point. It's actually something I go back and forth between um, as we've, if you've listened to the podcast, you heard a whole uh, episode about discussing amortization. Uh, and the, the one thing I personally have an issue with, with leveraging so much money, particularly on the term uh, of a loan is how much the bank gets on a 30 year, <laughs> on a 30 year mortgage, pretty much the first 15 years uh, the bank makes more than you in regards to loan pay down. Uh, so to Chris's point, say you wanted to accelerate that, uh, it also does help you put more money or at least not only money, but more assets under uh, your control faster uh, than paying the bank uh, their interest on the on the money that they lent you. So that's always something else to to consider. Well, awesome. I enjoyed today's episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed Chris as well. It was a pleasure. Uh it was uh, an exciting episode because real estate is something that I'm very knowledgeable about. I know a lot of people who are just as knowledgeable about it. I'm glad I could have uh, Chris on the show. We'll definitely have him on in the future. Uh, but if you got anything else to say, we'll close out the, today's episode. Yeah, I would say, you know, in regards to real estate, like come up with the strategy um, mm-hmm. and work the strategy. Um, for, for my wife and I, real estate is a long term play. We have a nine-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son, and um, we've named our business. Um, we're trying to create a dynasty, so it's it's DFD Investments, Davis Family Dynasty, and hopefully one day we'll be able to turn these over to our to our children and maybe our children's children um, to just keep building that generational wealth um, to where they're never from from a financial perspective. Um, wanting or feeling behind and so we're, we are trying to create a dynasty cool I actually like, I actually like that thought um, and a good one to end on as well so as you guys always remember we'll end with our, our usual tagline enjoy today's show uh, but no matter where you are in your financial journey always take the time to be a good Samaritan peace <laughs>